Welcome to the Nourish Soul Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kelly Ritter, and I'm passionate about expanding our view of mental health, how we experience mental wellness, and how we train and support mental health practitioners. Join me here every week as we explore nourishing our mind, body, and soul. Before we get into another great episode of the show, I wanted to say thank you to all of you who have gone over to Bed of Nails using our link and checked out all of the acupressure products that they have. You can still get your Nourished 15, 15% off discount now through February 15th. So you might want to think about that for a Valentine's Day gift amazing health benefits from acupressure mat. This is the best one. So head over to Bed of Nails and check it out. And if you decide that you want to get something over there, use Nourished 15 and get 15% off. And thank you to all of you who have done that. That supports our show and we are so grateful. It is the second anniversary of the Nourish Soul podcast and I want to take this episode to talk a little bit about where we are going with the podcast, where I'm going in my work. And if you have been around a little while, you've probably noticed this, but I just want to take this episode to lay it out. And I feel really passionate about telling the whole story. So I'll try to keep it as short and sweet as possible, but I really want, I'm feeling in my heart that I want to share the whole thing and I have this platform to share it. And what it is, is this desire to change the way we think about mental health, how we experience mental wellness, and how we train mental health professionals. So I'm really excited about where we're going. What you're going to see on the podcast is a lot more emphasis on mental well-being from all the, the same, I still have a very fresh perspective on all of that. It's all about healing and vitality and wellness. I think you're just going to see a little more of a focus on mental health because I've, I've, I've always been passionate about it. But what I think happened is that when I left the counseling field, I was feeling really frustrated, felt like an uphill battle to try and advocate for our roots of wellness and guidance. I've always been interested, more interested in human potential and wellness and health and this educational model versus a medical model. And it was feeling really heavy when, not just when I left academia, but then I also was in a private practice practicing holistic psychotherapy. And it's great. I love the clients, but I kept feeling like I was just missing something. There was something I was being called to do that I couldn't quite figure out. And I feel like I figured that out, at least for now in this season of my life. But I think what happened is that I threw the baby out with the bathwater a little bit. Not that I completely left mental health because I kept a handful of my clients and I love my counseling clients, but I knew I was shifting away from the one-on-one -on -one psychotherapy. And I, at that time I switched into nutritional therapy. So I was offering a lot of nutritional therapy focusing on 
gut health and the gut brain access and nutrition for mental health and was doing tons of training on that. Recently, I am I'm in the middle actually right now of the certification process for the havening technique. Haven as in creating a safe haven. I absolutely love the techniques. I was just sort of interested. I'm always interested in, in learning and different things. But what has happened is it has reignited my passion for trauma-informed work, trauma-competent, not just therapists, but trauma-competent practitioners out in the world. And it's really reignited a lot of things in me and my passion about advocating for a different way of looking at mental health. So, and this is not new, okay? So this is why I wanted to tell a little bit more the whole story of how I got here because I think, I don't know why, but I feel like it might be helpful to somebody out there that's listening. So I wanna share it. I will do my best to not use cuss words or at least not a lot of cuss words. So if you're driving the kids, and you've got kids in the car, you know, you don't want to hear passwords. I will do my best for that. So whether you're walking or you're outside taking a break or you're exercising or whatever you're doing, I invite you to just kind of sink in and join me on this journey. It may be a little bit windy, but I think it's important to lay out. So we'll see. I started in the counseling field. I didn't even know there was a counseling field. I had an undergraduate in psychology, loved human development, loved my human development course, um, social psych, developmental psych. I took a course at the very end of my undergrad called Human Potential, and it was all about choice and how we change and transform. And I just loved it, ate it up. I was like, this is the best. And then I had, okay, so I have an undergrad in psych with a minor in theater and almost enough credits to get a second major in philosophy. What am I going to do? So this, I was already working in my family business. We had a family business and I was already working there. And I knew that that wasn't, it didn't feel like that was my calling but I didn't know what I needed to do. So I, and I thought about IO psychology because those are some of my favorite professors. I thought about, I looked into a health psychology PhD program and I just felt really dismayed at the pathology orientation of a lot of those programs. So I met with one of my absolute favorite professors who's an IO psychology professor. And she said, I think because you're so interested in wellness and kind of human potential, you would like the counseling, get a counseling master's and you get your master's on, on the way to your PhD, whether you want to do that or not. And I was like, what is counseling? I guess I knew there were social workers. I of course knew that there were psychiatrists, but most of my world was around psychologists. So I didn't realize that there was a whole profession on professional counseling. And so I thought, well, that's interesting. It was over in the College of Education. So I checked it out and I did not really want to be a counselor when I applied, but I thought I would see, right? So I apply, I get on waitlisted and I, you know, when you 
you think you maybe sort of want something and then it's denied you and you realize, oh, I definitely, definitely want that. So I was really upset about being waitlisted and I thought, you know, it's okay. I'm going to figure it out. But I really figured out that I wanted to be there. So anyway, I got in. I ended up staying there for a master's in EDS and a PhD. And all the while, the entire time I was there, I kept thinking, I'm not sure that mental health is what we think it is. Like, what are we even talking about when we're talking about mental health? You can't separate mental, physical, and spiritual health. Like, it's all one package. But I loved my training. I had a great time learning all the things. And there are certain things that I think the counseling profession has done really, really well And I love our roots in wellness and guidance. I will always advocate for that. What I did not like was the push towards the pathology, right? And so when I got out into the work world and my first real counseling gig was in at a psychiatric hospital for children. And what I, it was a terrible fit for me, like very, very difficult. I felt like every single day that I had to go there felt like I was, losing a little bit more of my soul. But I learned a lot there. And what I learned is that I loved the things that I thought were going really well for the kids that were there. Play therapy, rec therapy, art therapy, group therapy, and sometimes family therapy. All the rest of it seemed like, okay, sorry, I said I wasn't going to cuss. All of the rest of it seemed like absolute bullshit to me but I knew it was kind of part of the deal. I also realized how unhealthy certain, so so many people in the field are not well and they're in charge. So not everybody that was in charge was uh, unwell, but a lot of the people that worked there were not healthy people. And I don't mean like physically unhealthy, I mean mentally. Not that they needed to be in a psych ward, But they just weren't, I I don't know what, I'm trying to search for the right words because it was one of the most difficult places that I've ever been where I felt like the people who work there traumatize each other and including me. And I just, it was pretty horrible actually. But I would sit in these treatment team meetings, listening to the psychiatrist and the other people working there and the way they would talk about disorders and this, that, and they're talking about people, children, And they're saying, oh, the bipolar on unit four or whatever. And you're like, okay, that, A, that child has a name, but I don't even think that that's what you guys think it is. Like, is that even what we're seeing? I mean, do we know what we're seeing? So that's what, what happened there. But I got really interested in more of the expressive arts. And if you've ever worked in the field at all, you know that trauma becomes you know you need to know everything you can about trauma because trauma impacts us in a way it in, impacts our well-being. And so those are the two things that I wanted to know more about, expressive arts and therapy and also trauma. I was really excited about group work because there's a magic that can happen in group therapy that you just don't see anywhere else. I had a really incredible group therapy experience when I was in graduate school. So half of the class, you're in a classroom with an instructor. And then the other half of the class, you're in a small growth group with other 
students and it's run by a doctoral student. So I loved being in that group. One of the, I'm, I'm still friends with some of the people that were in my group back then. One of them was in my wedding. So it was a really great experience. And then I also loved running those groups as a doctoral student. And I've just always loved, and then I loved teaching group counseling. It was really, those, those are the kind of the areas that I thought were really great. And there's a lot of potential for really good family therapy. So those are the things that I feel like counseling and the mental health field has done a lot of things that are really good. The therapeutic relationship, really important. What I think, the, the, the areas that I think are lacking have to do with quantum health. Like we're still thinking very chemical and mechanical about the whole process and about mental health. And where we need to shift, I believe, is understanding that we are electrical beings first. So I ended up, of course, like staying and learning and then ended up becoming a professor. And I really loved that. But I felt like I had, I was the odd person out the whole time I was a professor. And I worked with really lovely people. But in the faculty meetings, I can't tell you how many faculty meetings I left kind of teary and would just, if I didn't have to teach, would just go get my car and go home because it was just disheartening. I never felt like I belonged and everybody was nice to me and we were all nice to each other. We were in a really great situation where we weren't competing for resources so we could all be very collaborative. It was great. It wasn't it wasn't that the atmosphere was bad. I just always felt like an, like an oddball. And I always felt like I was really questioning how we're doing things, how we're training these students. And one of the things that I kept saying is we are putting people out into the world to become professional counselors, to work with people who are in distress, and we aren't helping them relieve their own distress. We're not helping people, we're not focusing on wellness enough was my perspective. So that people, you know, if you're hanging, this is the way I felt when I first started, I was hanging by a thread. It just happened to be a little bit thicker than the clients, you know, the thread they were hanging on. And it, that does not feel good. That does not give you a good, strong footing where you feel really confident. Now, a lot of my friends that went to graduate school with me all felt really comfortable as students hitting the ground running in counseling. I, I'm not going to make any comments, I guess, about whether I thought they were doing really good work. And But I truly believe that you can only take another person, you can only guide another person as far on the journey of healing and wellness and inner deep work as you have gone yourself. So I believe that we all, if we're in the healthing, in the helping professions, whatever health and healing and helping profession somebody is in, then we need to be doing our own work. I think the whole world needs to be doing their own work, whatever it is that you're doing, but especially if you are gonna be helping other people. If you are going to be guiding other people on their healing journey, you can only go as far as you've gone yourself on your healing journey. So I kept advocating for that. And I kept saying, still, the whole time, this focus, this emphasis on diagnosing was never, that's why I left psychology and went towards counseling. And then counseling started pushing more clinical 
diagnosing. I get it. There are really two things that I saw. One is we wanted to get paid. Counselors deserve to get paid. A lot of them are fantastic. They are boots on the ground doing great work. But have you noticed that mental health is not really getting better? And it's not that people are doing bad work out there, but I just think that we are looking at the whole thing in an incomplete way. And we're not training people in a way that I think is going to actually turn this ship around. So part of it is people taking their own responsibility for their health, including their mental health, but also the way that we're training could be better, in my opinion. So the one thing that I saw is they wanted to get paid, right? Of course, the way to get paid by insurance companies is to diagnose. Guess what the number one diagnosis in this country, in the United States is? Not surprising. Generalized anxiety disorder. One, because there's a lot of anxiety. Two, because that's less stigmatizing, in my opinion. And I think a lot of other practitioners would use that because it was a label that could help people get paid services that they definitely needed without a big stigmatizing label that's then going to follow them everywhere that they go. So yes, we wanted to get paid. That makes sense. We needed to be able to diagnose people in order to get, and I get the idea of the DSM, which is the Diagnostic Statistical Manual with all the different diagnoses and all of that. I get the idea of that. If you have the right diagnosis, then you know which treatment to provide. Makes sense. Except that I never saw the treatment doing much good. I never really saw giving somebody a label all that helpful. Occasionally, especially when I was working with kids with special needs and children on the spectrum would tell me that it really felt relieving when they got their diagnosis because they knew they were different and now they knew kind of why. So I think there is a place for it. I lost almost all respect. I didn't have a whole lot of respect for the DSM before, but I really lost respect with the DSM, the fourth edition that left out, I believe it was the fourth edition, right? I don't even know what edition we're on. Anyway, they left out developmental trauma. And it really bothered me because there is so much information. There were amazing people providing the information. There's so much research. We know developmental trauma is impactful. Now, whether it needs to be in the DSM or not, like I don't even respect the book, so why would I care whether it's in there or not? But I don't respect it if they're not gonna at least have diagnoses that make sense to what we're seeing as clinicians, then why do we even have that book? Well, one, to get paid. And theoretically, so that you'll know which treatment to use, even though I've never seen that work. I shouldn't say I've never seen it work. I just don't think it's very effective. But the other thing that pe that I saw in the counseling field, the second thing is the push towards clinical, pathological, medical model, I believe was because we wanted to be taken seriously. And psychologists and even social workers and people were out there with other people with boots on the ground out there working, really got a lot of respect because they can diagnose. And so we wanted to make sure not we, me, but as a field. And I think that makes sense, right? We went as a field, we wanted to be taken seriously and be able to provide the services that are needed and get paid for it. So I get that. And 
I just always felt like we were missing something, not just by, by focusing on the medical model, but also just there just always seemed to be a piece missing, or at least I felt like I was missing something important in the work that I was doing. And I loved being a professor. I loved my students. I was really, of course, I was teaching play therapy and group counseling and trauma counseling. And then I had to treat couples and family. And I do not, I just like, oh, I don't do, I don't do couples. But I stepped in for a colleague that needed to, had an emergency, needed to be out. And I was like, yeah, I can teach it. So I was reading about a week ahead of the students, but I ended up really enjoying that class. I really enjoy family work. So yeah, I loved all of that. And I thought we did a good job, but you really are teaching students so that they can pass the national exam, so they can get licensed. And yes, a lot of us would really work to make sure that our students had the information that was going to help them once they were actually counselors. But I still just felt like we were missing something, or I was, right? So then I got super interested when my father was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And I, I'm a qualitative researcher by nature. I, I love story. I love to dig into people's stories and find the patterns and see what other people are doing that is helpful, that can be applied other places. I love all that. So I did that when my dad was diagnosed with cancer. I started looking for stories of people with cancer that were now thriving. And not many with pancreatic cancer, first of all. So that was, you know, an emotional experience in and of itself. But where I was finding a lot of healing, people did a lot of different things, but they all tried conventional treatment and alternative things. And almost all of them talked about, I know every single one of them talked about changing their diet. So I got really interested in the nutrition piece of it, went back into the research and realized how many diseases are related to digestive health, colon health, and you know, gut health in general. And I was fascinated, like hook, line, sinker. I was like, this is amazing. So I got really interested in the gut brain axis. When I learned that, you know, most of our neurotransmitters are made in the gut, not the brain, which now seems silly that I didn't know that because it makes so much sense. But I didn't know that we weren't taught that. And I was like, you know, I really feel like we need to equip our students to understand more about gut health and the gut brain access. And we're not doing that. And I had to actually fight to, to create a course, a wellness and resilience course in a master's level counseling. And it was an elective. And I had to like fight to get that elective and teach that elective. But I did because I felt like we were not equipping our students with everything we could, even though I thought we did a good job. Not a, you know, Anyway, I digress. So with the gut health, I was like, I have figured it out. This is it. It's the nutrition. So when I left academia, I went so deep into studying nutrition and mental health nutrition in particular and specific diets that help with mental health, like the ketogenic diet, all of, all of that. And I thought I had figured, I was like, this is it. And then you figure out you can help people to a certain degree with all of these things. All of these things have a therapeutic value and can really help people so you can see improvement. 
it just, I still felt like we're missing something. I'm missing something. People would have improvement, but not like pure out of the, you know, like completely, it just wasn't blowing me out of the water. And even though I really love the work, I, yeah, I, what, you know, all of you who have been listening, you know, my story, I ended up finding myself studying mitochondrial health. And this is my point. I believe that the missing link in mental health is understanding mitochondria, is realizing that we are electrical beings first. So yeah, chemical stuff is happening. Sure, I love talking about neurotransmitters. I, of course, I want to make sure you have enough amino acids, protein to make your neurotransmitters. But more than all of that, what's more important than all of that is light, is circadian rhythms, is the mitochondria. The light, light informs life. Light shapes life. Light, water, magnetism, which we can just, I, I say earth. It's truly, it's magnetism, right? These are the things that are missing in the whole picture. Even when we do all the trauma training, people, I did, I did all the trauma training. I, EFT, emotional freedom technique, EMDR, which is the eye movements, bilateral stimulation. I really like some of that. Um, Brain-based hypnotherapy, all of the things, why they work is because of frequency when they work. I believe it's because of the relationship, the container that is made for that to, to happen, and also because of frequency, which is why I love havening, the havening technique, because you're specifically working with delta waves in the brain, generating delta waves. So you're actually literally ungluing an emotional encoding, a traumatic encoding in the amygdala. So a lot of the nourishing the nervous system, all of the, the psychosensory therapies, the expressive arts, all of those things to me, the reason they work is because they're working on the electric, the nourishing, the electricalness of us, the nourishing of our nervous system kind of all comes back to that. But it's also, you realize that a lot of what people are experiencing specifically, I'm talking about mood. So stress and mood, anxiety, depression, a lot of what is going on with stress and anxiety and mood and even sleep is lost energy. The body is literally a battery. And when we have low voltage, when we have lost energy, then we are not, we're going to have all kinds of issues that come up. And that's our body's way to communicate through symptoms. Now, I would say and you're listening to the nurse soul, so I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I think that the soul speaks to us through the body and that symptoms are possibly consciousness speaking into the next. It's a way to lead us to where we need to go. But I won't go too deep into that. I just think that what we're missing in mental health is this understanding of mitochondria because lost energy is inflammation. It's lost energy is just a lost electron. What moves electrons in the body? The mitochondria, it's the electron transport chain. So understanding on a cellular level what's happening, these really subatomic, like the smallest of things are actually driving the bigger picture. What's more important than any of all of this is to say that light, I believe that 
we need to tend to the light and honor the dark, honor the light, honor the dark outside of us and honoring the light and the dark inside of us. I think tending to the light makes a lot of sense. Nourishing the nervous system, really making sure that you actually are recharging the battery, literally recharging your body, making sure your mitochondria have what they need to function properly so that you're not losing so many electrons, you're not losing energy. And the electrons, I was just thinking that when we lose electrons, that is actually reactive oxygen species, which is inflammation. We already know the research is showing mental health is an inflammatory problem. So all the other theories and all the different things that people have said about different states of mental health. Now, I believe in my work, what I have seen is that nutrient deficiencies can make a big difference, particularly with stress, anxiety, mood. So we address those nutrient deficiencies, but we're also talking about and gut health and, but we're talking about metabolic health and we're talking about mitochondrial health. To me, that is a, a more full picture. That's a better picture for mental health than what we have been looking at in the past. And I know that there are a lot of really great practitioners out there, health coaches, therapists of all kinds out there that are that know this or are on the cusp of this. I have been knowing this stuff for a long time without knowing I knew this stuff. I have been interested in energy and the soul really since I was 18, 19 years old because of a profound experience that I had when I was 19. And I talked about that, I think on the first episode or even the the trailer for this podcast, I was talking about how I got interested in the soul in the first place when I didn't believe that there was a soul and I didn't believe in God and then had this profound experience that was really undeniable to myself. And so I've been interested in this stuff for a long time. I've been questioning the way we think about mental health, what that as, as what's actually happening when we try to separate mental health from physical health and spiritual health. I've been questioning that for ever, for as long as I can and re, can remember. And I've been really interested in energy. I mean, I was 19 years old and I was reading Seed of the Soul and near-death experiences of children, and what else? Weiss's work with many lives, many masters. I was interested in some of this different kinds of things in frequency and energy. I just didn't really think to put it into mental health. I don't know. I knew everything was energy, and I get that everything's frequency, but we are light slowed down. And so you are light. You don't have to go looking for it. You already are light. We tend to the light so that I believe so that you can be a light that you are here in the world, right? I believe that we are here to share our particular light. You don't have to. You can live your whole life not doing that if you want. That is absolutely up to you. If you do want to, you already are the light. You already have that in you. What I believe happens with our modern lifestyles, and you can see it, is that we are losing energy. It's lost energy. It's low voltage. And that's why we're seeing more mental health problems. 
But listen, mental health problem. Look, everybody comes with physical stuff too, right? And a lot of people don't realize that they're anxious. They're some of the most anxious people I've ever met, that they'll come for gut health and they'll say, oh no, my mental health is great. Great, okay. So you start digging a little bit, like how's your sleep? Uh, You know, okay, not great. Dig a little bit more. Yeah, I wake up quite a bit. Well, how do you wake up in the morning when, you know, kind of sluggish, feels like life on repeat, you know, rinse and repeat kind of things. Do you ever feel kind of worried about anything? Oh yeah, like I overthink, I worry about things. (laughs) You know, okay, that's anxiousness, but you don't need to label it. I just think that we live life very unaware of how low voltage we are and what how good we could feel because we're not really aware of that but we're more interested in taking care of the physical stuff most of us know when we start feeling you know physical symptoms or like thyroid issues chronic issues with um, digestion headaches all kinds of aches and pains all kinds of things that we will address and take care of back pain all of that stuff i have found my life in my work, there's always an emotional component to that. There's this psychosocial, emotional, spiritual part that we need to address anytime there's a physical part too. We need to address all of it, I suppose. And I think a lot of well-meaning, fabulous therapists and health practitioners and health coaches, they take a holistic approach I did too. I thought I was whole. I mean, I was as holistic as I thought I could get with all the different trainings and all the different things and all of my different degrees and all the things that I had. I still, I was missing this piece about mitochondria and about lost energy. So I hope this is making sense because this is where I'm going with my work. I am wanting obviously to help people. I still enjoy helping people with consultation And I'm really moving into more training and mentoring. So trauma-informed training and mentoring for health coaches that want to focus on an area of mental health and making sure that everybody has has what they need and understands their ethical boundaries and all of that. I think that I've come to this place in my life. I've done all of these things to help other people help their clients in a very trauma-informed quantum health way. And so that is where I'm going with the work. And what we're doing here on the podcast is trying to help people, on you, the listeners, trying to help you live the healthiest life you can, but really understanding that the way we look at mental health, the way we experience well-being, our mental well-being is a really important shift that I think is happening, whether we know it or not. And I want to make sure that we are here on the Nourish Soul podcast, that we're contributing to the conversation and the healing that can happen in this kind of new way. That's what we're doing here. Okay. That was a long journey of kind of how I got here, why this is important to me. And hopefully it didn't take you too far off, but I'm grateful that you're here. We always love comments. I would love for you to comment if you're thinking, okay, all that's great, Kelly, but like, how does that work in my practical 
life. Well, that's what we're doing on the show. We're giving you practical tools, hopefully stories of inspiration, and also a little bit of, of science, a little bit of that piece of it. But you can also, I have free videos on YouTube. I have lots of information that I keep, I'm trying to put more up on my website that's just free stuff. I have free classes that are webinars that you can come to and start just learning more and know that if it isn't all making sense now, that's totally fine. Slow and steady wins the race here. I slowly came to the place I am and I'm still learning. There's so much to learn. There's so much more growing to do. So slow and steady is, is the way to go. It's totally fine. If you're feeling like I have no idea what she's talking about, what are the mitochondria? So just start poking around on my website, looking at some of the YouTube videos. If you're really interested in doing deep work, you're ready. You're like, this is a full body yes for me. I'm all in. I want optimal health. I want to know all the things. Then I have courses. You can take a course. Every, all of this is in the quantum stress management course. It's a 21 day reset, but all of the material that the circadian rhythms, mitochondrial health and nutrition all in one course. So I have courses. You can take those, just kind of see which one resonates with you, where you are in your journey, what price point, like all of the things. It, they All my courses come with Q&As with me. So you can come ask your questions, right? That's the place to do that. If you really are like, I, I really just need some one-on-one -on -one help. I, I offer consultations for people. There are different ways to do that. There's a package that you can do that has a lot to, to do with quantum health and nutrition and digging in with some assessments, but you can also just come for an ask me anything, ask me your questions, and you can come for an hour and we do that. And I am starting to offer more havening. So I don't have a ton of appointments available each week, but I have appointments for these consultations and doing havening because I absolutely love it. It's so much fun. So you can come for a havening session if you want to do that. Those are the ways to start really going, getting deeper into your own healing, your own work. So I no longer offer psychotherapy. So the weekly, I do still have a handful of clients that I have had for a long time that I love that not that I wouldn't love to have you as a client, but that is not what I'm offering because I am shifting to more of the training and mentoring of health coaches that really want to make sure that they are doing things in a trauma-informed quantum health way if they're going to work with people in a specific area of mental health. So those are the ways that you can start getting more practical about it if you want to. And then tuning in here, tune in for the more practical pieces and the inspiration from the inspiring stories that we share on the Nurse Soul podcast. Yeah. Okay. So I will see you next week in the next episode. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for tuning in to this episode. We are grateful for you, our listeners and viewers on YouTube. And to show a little love, I am offering 20% off of my new quantum stress management course. So you can go to my website, nourish-soul.com. Under programs, you can find the courses 
and any course there that you want to take, you can use the code podcast for our podcast listeners. You get 20% off when you check out. You just use that code podcast. So hopefully that is helpful to you. Hopefully these episodes are helpful to you on your healing journey. And I will see you next episode.